once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning, y'all. It's good to be here with you. We're glad you're at Perimeter Church with us. Uh, If you haven't been with us these past few weeks, we are in the middle of a series called Jesus Outside the Box. And and we're looking at a Jesus who is far greater than we can imagine, who is more glorious than we can conceive. A Jesus who, while he is good in every way, he is most certainly not safe. A Jesus that we saw described in that Heidelberg Catechism question. One who is our prophet, who speaks, who is our priest, who saves, but ultimately who is also our king. And what I love is you look at that that catechism question, what is it he does in every one of those offices? He delivers. He is a God who in every way has set his heart and his mind and all that he is on the deliverance of his people. And we're going to see more of that this morning. We're coming to the same text, the same text we've been looking at for the past two weeks. We're going to come to it one more time today. And we're going to look at him and see just a little bit more. So read with me now, starting in Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is God's word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come here this morning needing you, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that what we hear as we go into this text, Lord, it would not be the, the pride of a cocky preacher, but instead, Lord, the words of a humble Savior. That, Lord, what we would hear would be the very voice of Jesus. That we would hear would be the very words of Jesus. And not only would we hear them, but, Lord, through your Spirit, you would draw each and every one of us 
You would draw us out of our places where we have gone for safety. You would draw us out of the places where we have hidden. And Lord, you would draw us instead into the arms of the only one who can save. Show us Jesus and all his beauty this morning in his name. Amen. My wife and I used to have a dog named Luther. He was a white golden retriever. He was this beautiful, happy, joyous dog. And he was the kind of dog that you just loved coming home to. Because as soon as you opened up the door, Luther would come sprinting. He would run up there. He'd start rubbing up against your legs and shedding all over your pants. You were constantly having like lint roll everything. When you were watching TV, he would come up beside the couch and he would get as close as he could without actually getting on the couch itself. When you were eating your dinners, he would come up and put his head on your lap. And you knew he shouldn't do that, but you kind of liked it because it was kind of sweet. But for as sweet as this dog was... As, as wonderful as he was, he wasn't exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. He was a little dumb. And whenever there was any kind of chaos, whenever there was a storm, whenever there was thunder or lightning or fireworks, which for some reason always happened in our neighborhood, he would panic. And he would immediately start looking for the, the tiniest crevice that he could cram his body into because he thought that would make him safe. And he would do this, not just when he was outside and actually at risk from the elements, he would do this even when he was in the house, and there was absolutely nothing that could hurt him. And we would come home from work, having, we knew there had been a storm, but we're thinking the dog's in the house, he should be totally fine. But you would open up the door, and you wouldn't hear those nails scratching your hardwood floors as he sprinted towards you. There would be no noise, there would be no sound. And so you'd begin to look around the house and calling Luther's name and not finding him anywhere. And finally, after searching, we would go upstairs to the second floor in the guest bedroom. And almost always, we would look under the bed and crammed underneath that guest bed, wedged so far that he could no longer get out, was Luther. And in his quest for refuge he had managed to get himself into a place that was actually worse than where he had started. You know, when I look at that, and I see a picture of what's happening here in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the church in the book of Hebrews, they are the second generation of believers. They've grown up knowing the gospel. They've grown up knowing who Jesus is. They've grown up knowing the Bible. But the culture they are living in, it is beginning to change. And there is on the horizon this threat that this culture that has tolerated them, this culture that has allowed them even to flourish, that there is persecution on the way. That there is suffering that is about to come. And suddenly there is a very real risk attached to the name of Jesus. And this church is beginning to wonder if maybe, just maybe, there is refuge found somewhere else. That if they just change the way they worship, if they just change who they worship, then maybe there they will be safe. And you know, when it strikes me, when I look at that, that that sounds very similar to our present situation, doesn't it? But we live in a country where for years Christianity has enjoyed a privileged position. Where people, if they wanted political power, if they wanted to be socially acceptable, if they wanted to network with the right people, they would pretend Christian faith even if they did not have Christian faith. 
But as every one of us knows, that's beginning to change. And on the horizon, there is thunder and there is lightning and there is this little seed of fear. This little bitty worry that the ground is beginning to shift with it beneath our feet and there is risk coming. Because if you hold to the positions that the Bible teaches us about Jesus, if you worship as the Bible calls us to worship, if you have the views the Bible teaches on the exclusivity of Jesus, on issues like the nature of sexuality, on a whole host of others, suddenly we are finding ourselves not in sync with the culture, but very much out of alignment. And so there is this question, is it worth the cost? And is there a place where we could go where maybe we would be safer? The writer of Hebrews says, if you begin to look anywhere other than to Jesus, you are going to find yourself not in a place of greater refuge, but instead in a place like my dog, where you're actually worse off than you were before. There is only one who can offer us refuge. And it is in the arms of an unshakable king who offers to his people an unshakable kingdom in the arms of one, as he describes here in verse 8, who reigns forever and ever. And even when all the heaven and the earth fall away like a garment, he will remain. It is in the arms of this king and in him alone that we find refuge. And there is nowhere else that we should go. So who is this king? Hebrews 1 says he is the conqueror of nations, he is the ruler of the angels, and he's the son of God. That's the one who holds you in his hands. When I was in college, I used to go rock climbing with a friend of mine, and every time I would go, I was always just a little bit terrified. And the reason was this. The first time we went rock climbing together, uh, we took this class where they told us everything we were supposed to do, how to put on the harness, how to make sure the ropes were attached to the carabiners in the right way. They, they taught us the commands. You know, you go on belay, belay on, climbing, climb on, falling, fall on, and each one of those told you something you were supposed to do. And you did that thing trusting that the person who held the rope and the person who was climbing actually knew what they were talking about. Well, after we took this class, my friend and I, we strapped in, and um, I said, on belay, and she said, belay on, and I said, climbing, and she said, climb on, and I began to go up the wall. And when I got about 20 feet up a 43-foot wall, all of a sudden I hear the last thing you ever want to hear when you're climbing a wall, Caleb, stop, don't move, don't let go, come down slowly. And I immediately began to, in my head, the panic going, what in the world could be wrong? And so I'm inching down the wall as slowly as I can, trying to hug it as tightly as I can, until I get to the ground, and I turn to my friend, and I say, what's wrong? And she says, I'm not entirely sure I've tied these ropes the right way. <laughs> Would you take a look at them and tell me if I did it correctly? And this is not a joke, this is not an exaggeration. She had looped these ropes in the exact opposite direction they were supposed to go. So much so that if I had reached the top of that 43-foot wall, and I had said falling, and she had said fall on, and I had responded to that command, there would have been no rope to hold me. I would have let go of that wall, and I would have fallen the entire way. 
And while she got a heck of a lot better at managing those ropes, and ever after, that never happened again, every time I went climbing with her, there was this little voice in the back of my mind when she said, fall on, that was going, do I really want to let go? And it was because I was not confident in the identity of the one who held the rope. The writer of Hebrews, he is here in Hebrews 1 saying, that is not a fear you need to have with this Savior. Here is a king who if he holds you, there is no one who can shake you from his hands. Here is a king who if he commands you, you can let go of the wall and you can go and do whatever it is he calls you, even if in your mind it makes no sense, because this one, you can have absolute confidence he will not let you go. He says, first, this king, he's the conqueror of nations. Last week I said that if you read the book of Hebrews, that Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, they're like the spine if Hebrews is a skeleton. They're the two psalms that hold together the structure of the book. And both of those psalms speak not just of a priest who is going to save God's people, who will finally make atonement for their sins. It also speaks of a king. Of a king who's going to be greater than David, Israel's greatest king. Of a king who is going to be mightier than any king that has ever come before. One who is going to bring all of the nations to heal. You know, you think about the things that cause us to tremble. Things great and things small. We're afraid of countries like North Korea and Iran getting nuclear weapons. We're afraid of what happens when our kid suddenly decides to sprint across the street and we're powerless to stop them. We're afraid of things as small and seemingly insignificant as angering the mom who runs the carpool because we're not sure how we're going to get our kid to school. We're afraid of powers on earth that are large and small, tiny and seemingly insignificant, but all of them make us frightened. But what Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 say is, this king's not afraid of any of them. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, this king who sits at the Father's right hand, all of the enemies that he has, they will be made his footstool. He is going to place his foot on their back and conquer them completely. Psalm 2 makes it even more vivid. It has this picture of all the nations raising their fists against God and saying, we're going to bring you down. You're not going to rule us. You're not going to conquer us. We are going to cast you off. And it is all of them and all of their power, all united in this one purpose. And the, in the most Clint Eastwood way possible, God basically looks at these nations and laughs and then just points at his son. He says, see my king. He's going to break you with a rod of iron and smash you like you were so much clay. And it says all of the nations are terrified. And then the psalm closes saying, kiss the son. Kiss this king, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. This is a king who is not afraid of earthly powers who is not afraid of the powers of this earth, but who stands above each and every one. And in the end, every single one of them will bow to him, whether they want to or not. But he's not just the one who is greater than the earthly power. This king is also the one who is above all the spiritual powers, too. 
He's not just the conqueror of nations. He's also the ruler of angels. You see this all through Hebrews 1. In verse 4, he says this Jesus. He is the one who has a name as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Verse 6, he says the angels worship him. Verses 7 to 9, he says the angels are winds and flames of fire, but this son, this king, his throne is forever and ever. There is no one who's going to take him off of it. Verses 10 to 12, the angels are created beings, but this is the creator. The angels will pass away, but Jesus will remain. Verses 13 and 14, he says the angels are not the ones before whom everyone's going to bow. They're not the one who, who are going to make their enemies a footstool. That's Jesus. The angels are the ones who, when he says go, they listen. They are the ministers that he sends for the sake of his people. But in the end, every one of them, they answer to him. Over and over and over and over. The writer of Hebrews says, these angels, these angels that were so glorious that when God's people encountered them, whenever they saw them, They fell on their faces and were tempted to worship. Every one of them bows to Jesus. And that includes not just the powers of heaven. That includes even the powers of hell. Think for a moment about what you see in the Gospels. When Jesus and demons meet, who's afraid? Who's the one who's asking permission? And in the end, who is the one who flees? I'll give you a hint. It's not Jesus. It's the demons who tremble. It's the demons who beg. And it is the demons who flee. Because they know they are in the presence of one who is greater than them. And they know they are in the presence of one before whom one day all of them, even Satan, will have to bow. Milton In his poem, Paradise Lost, he has this great image of Satan sitting surrounded by the demons, all of these fallen angels, and he is shouting to the heavens, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. He's saying, I'm going to take all of my power and all of my rage, and whatever good God tries to bring, whatever he tries to do for his people, I'm going to pervert it, I'm going to destroy it, I'm going to fight against it. But then at the very end, As he's shaking his fist and saying, no way, no way ever will I stop doing this, he acknowledges this. He says, but all it will do, all it will do is serve to bring more goodness, more grace, and more mercy to the very men I try to pervert. Even Satan knows that before this king he is going to bow. That he is one of the enemies who will be a footstool beneath Jesus' feet. But here is what is most precious of all about this king. He's not just the greatest of men. He's not just the greatest of the angels. He's not just the greatest created being. Because if that is all Jesus is, if that is all this king is, in the end he cannot offer you true refuge. Because it means there is one who is still greater. And if God and Jesus are out of alignment, then whatever safety Jesus offers, it is not real, it is an illusion. The writer of Hebrews 
says, this Jesus, he's not just greater than all earthly powers. He's not just greater than all spiritual ones. He's also the Son. He's the mystery that all through the Old Testament has been hinted at, this mystery that we have been trying to figure out, and he is now revealed. He's what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 45, the verse he quotes here in verses 8 and 9. He says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, and notice who's on the throne, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, the one on the throne, with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. The writer of Hebrews says, that's Jesus. It is God the Father anointing God the Son. It is the one who is the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of the glory of God. That is the one who sits on the throne for his people. And if God is for us, as it says in Romans 8, then who can be against us? If God is for us, who can possibly threaten God's people? He says, here's the one who holds the rope. Here's the identity of the one who can give you such confidence that no matter what he commands, you can obey and do so without fear. He is the conqueror of nations, the ruler of angels, the very son of God. And here is what that king offers to us. It's true refuge. You know, refuge is one of those things that all of us want. Uh, It's why my daughter... It's why my daughter will start screaming in the middle of the night and you'll hear her down the hall and she's in the dark and she thinks she's alone and she's going, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, Mommy. It's because in that moment, in that moment, she wants refuge. She wants someone who is stronger than her to take her in their arms and to carry her to a place where she feels safe. And you know, while most of us here, I hope, have stopped calling for their mommies and daddies at night, we're all looking for refuge, aren't we? We're all looking for a place that is safe. We're all looking for a place that is secure. We're all looking for a place where we don't need to fear and we don't need to worry. And we are looking for it anywhere and everywhere that we can find it. We think it's in how much money we have. That if we just accumulate enough, if we just get enough in our 401k or in a retirement, then we'll be set and we won't have to worry. We think that maybe it's in our appearance and how beautiful we are, how handsome we look, or how fit we are. And if we can just get that certain look, then maybe we'll get the approval we so desperately want. We think it's in our jobs. That if we can just get our boss to say, that's a good enough work for me and I like that and you're going to get that promotion, that if we do that, if we excel there, then maybe we'll be secure. We think that maybe it's in getting that girl or that guy who sits across from us in algebra to actually give us a smile back. We think it's in things as silly as what people think of our kids and whether or not they think they're safe to put our own kids around. But what we realize in every single one of these is that even if we get them, they're not true refuge, are they? Because even if you get that thing, 
you are still anxious and you are still worried because you realize that all of those things, they can be taken from you in a moment. Beauty fades, money can be lost, approval can be taken, and in the end, none of them will stand. In the end, even if we keep them all our lives, when death comes, they will be pried from our cold, dead fingers. They're not true refuge. They're the illusion. The writer of Hebrews, as he has been doing again and again and again, he is lifting up our heads and he is saying, but there is true refuge to be found. And it is in the one who reigns on high. It is in Jesus himself. In Psalm 2, at the very end, It said, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. He's saying the one who is happy, the one who is blessed, it is the one who has found refuge in the arms of this unshakable king. This one who even when all creation falls away, he remains. This one who even when the angels rage, he is able to silence them with a word. This one who even if all earthly powers rise up against his people, he is the one who will smash them with a rod of iron. And here is what is even more beautiful. This king, we know his heart. You know, the reason my daughter starts crying out, not for some random stranger, but for daddy and for mommy, is because she knows that we love her. And she knows that the one who comes to pick her up out of that bed and to take her into their arms, it is one who cares for her. It is one who will provide for her. It is one who will not hurt her, but one who will care for her in every way. The writer of Hebrews says, do you not see the heart of this king? This king, he is also your priest. This king the one who is greater than all, the one before whom the nations bow, the one before whom the angels bow, the one who is himself God, this king, he came to be the servant of all. This king came and placed himself in the hands of those nations. He allowed himself to be tempted by those angels. And he allowed himself to be killed by his father. To be sent to die by his father. Here is a king who so loves his people that even while they were still sinners, he was willing to die for them. It's the heart of one who is not going to hurt his people. It's the heart of one who is not going to abandon his people. It's the heart of one who has said, my desire, my yearning, my, the craving of my soul is that you would be delivered not just in part, but in whole. It's a heart that we see even in Psalm 2, even when it's talking about this king who's going to smash the nations, even there you see the heart of this one. Because when the nations rage and they raise their fists against God, God points at his son and he tells them, this is the one you will one day face. But he also invites them. He invites the very ones who are attacking him to find their refuge in him. There is 
refuge for sinners, refuge for the broken, and refuge for the weary. In the arms of a crucified Savior whose nail-scarred hands speak to us the love of a God beyond anything we could comprehend. And what Hebrews 12 says is that king, his blood, it speaks to you a better word than Abel's ever could have. We live in a world where all of us in our hearts are going, God, how long? How long will the righteous suffer? How long will injustice reign? How long will we see good called evil and evil called good? How long will your people feel as though we are out of sorts with the world? How long will we feel these threats? And what Jesus says, what his blood says, is for my people, not long. It is blood that says to his people, there is forgiveness for you. There is mercy for you. But there is also a day coming when everything that you have lost, anything you have suffered in my name, any injustice you have endured in the pursuit of my, my glory, all of it will be restored. All of it will be restored a hundredfold on the day when I return. But in the very midst of that mercy, in the very midst of that hope, there's also a warning. Hebrews 12, verse 25 says this, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. To a people who are tempted to look for refuge somewhere else. To a people who are tempted to say, I think I'll be just a little bit safer. The writer of Hebrews says, wake up. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Kiss the son lest you perish in the way. But blessed, blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the only one in whom refuge is found. This is the only one who can offer you refuge, not that is an illusion, but that is true. Because he is the conqueror of nations. He is the ruler of angels. He is the Son of God, and He is for you. In 2014, the New York Times did a profile on an Afghani refugee named Joseph. Joseph had grown up in Afghanistan, a, a Muslim in a Muslim family in a majority Muslim culture. And he had survived the civil war, he had survived the Taliban, but eventually he decided, I can't bear this anymore, I don't like living my life always wondering when a roadside bomb is going to go off, and so I want to go somewhere else, somewhere that is safe, somewhere that will give me refuge. And so he took whatever money he had, and he paid some smugglers to get him illegally into Germany. He got across the border, he got into the country, he began to make friends, and he was experiencing safety in a way he hadn't experienced it before. And while he was there, one of the men that he had met invited him to come to church with him. And he went, just curious as to what they would say, and when he went to that church, he began to hear them speak of a king who was greater than all, of a savior who had all power in heaven and on earth, and then something he had never heard before. Of this very one who had all that power. 
of one whose heart was so full of love he was willing to lay it down for the sake of his people. Of one who could provide true refuge. Of one who could show him mercy in a way he did not believe possible. And Joseph in that moment came to Christ. He was baptized and then everything fell apart. Germany found him. Germany deported him. Germany sent him back to Afghanistan. And when he got back home, things went from bad to worse. Because one day while he was out, his brother opened up his computer. And as he was pouring through the files, he found the video of Joseph's baptism. And he realized that his brother had converted. And suddenly everyone in his family decided that Joseph had to die. They chased him from his home. They put a $20,000 bounty on his head for anybody that could tell them where he was. And when the New York Times came to their door to ask about Joseph, they said, if you find him, we'll pay you the reward to tell us where he is. And when we do find him, we will kill him. And not just him, we'll kill his son. His three-year-old son, because he is not the son of a Muslim, he is an illegitimate child and he must die. And when the New York Times found Joseph, He was living in his friend's basement in a 10 by 10 room cut off from the rest of the world with nothing to keep him company but a worn out Bible, listening every day to the sounds of the call to prayer from the mosque across the street, a mosque that if it knew he was there would kill him very quickly. And when they came to him and they said, do you regret, do you regret coming to Christ? Joseph's response was this. Before, my body was free, but my soul was in prison. Now it is the other way around. My body is in prison, but my soul, my soul is free. He found the one who offers true refuge. He found the one who even if he died, who even if his family found him and even if they did the worst things that they threatened, he found the one who was greater than all. The one who said there will be justice if not in this life, then in the one to come. The one who is the conqueror of nations, the ruler of the angels, the son of God. And the glory of the gospel is that Jesus, he is for us. John Newton one of my favorite pastors, he, he says, Oh, what mercy to see all the power in heaven and earth exercised by him who was nailed to the cross for sinners. Here's refuge. If we are in Christ, it doesn't matter if all the powers of the world try to shake the foundations of God's kingdom. What Hebrews 1 says is they're going to fail. They are the death rattles of a dying world that is refusing to go gently into that good night, but powerless to stop the hand of Christ. And it is that hand that is offered to us in Jesus. Jesus is not just the one who speaks. He's not just the one who tells us what is true of God in a world full of doubt and confusion. He's not just the one who atones, who saves us from our sins and brings us back into the presence of God. Jesus is the one who reigns. Jesus is the one who sits on high. And Jesus is the one who invites you and says, Blessed, 
blessed is the one who takes refuge in me. Because there is true refuge. Not the illusion, but the reality to be found in me. In the midst of the thunder and in the midst of the lightning. Come to me. And pray for us. Heavenly Father, you have provided for your people a gift in your Son beyond anything that I I can put words to. And Lord, I pray this morning as we sit and, and think and ponder on the glory of the King who reigns, the one who so loved us that he even gave his life for us, Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts to yourself. That, Lord, wherever we are trusting in something else for refuge, wherever, Lord, we are looking for something else to keep us safe, I pray, Lord, in this moment, open our eyes to the one who offers us true refuge, who promises true justice. Open our eyes to the one who holds us in his righteous right hand, the one who, no matter what power of man or scheme of hell comes, cannot be thwarted the one who holds us even now come Lord Jesus Amen you've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.